Will you pray with me? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts together be acceptable in your sight. Through Christ Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The story is told of a, a man who grew up in a small town. Uh, everybody knew him and his parents didn't have a lot of uh, wealth. And he, uh, at a very early age, began, you know, throwing newspapers and doing other things, whatever he could do to help the family income, and everybody looked kindly upon them. Eventually, he grew up, and he, he left town, and he did very well in college, and then he got a good job, and then he started his own business, and he became uh, an employer of thousands, and he made his fortune. And he came back to that small town uh, one summer to visit and to kind of flash his ring and drive his big car, and people were impressed as they saw him uh, driving up and down Main Street. And then that night, there happened to be a revival in town. And he remembered the revivals of his youth. And he came down and he sat in the back by the revival. Uh, and as the preacher was going on, he said, is there anybody here who would like to give a testimony? And he stood up and he said, I'd like to bear witness. And he, he came down to the front of the gathering there and he said, I grew up in this town and you all know that. And, and I remember a night just like this when I was a young boy. I was barely 10, 11 years old. And I, I sat in the back and I wasn't really paying attention. And suddenly a deep conviction of God came over my heart. And I started thinking about what I would do with my life. And, and they took an offering that night. And just that day, I had received my very first paycheck from the newspaper for throwing papers. And I had a $20 bill in my pocket. And here came the offering plate. And I had a decision to make. And I thought, it's either now or, ever, or never. I'm either going to be God's man or I'm not. And so I took that $20 bill, my whole $20 bill, everything I had made, and I put it in that offering plate. And I gave it all to God. And he said, that's made all the difference in my life. That moment of faithfulness has set me on a course where I, I have become the person I am. And everybody sat there in, in awe and smiles on their faces. And he walked back down and he sat down in the back of the, of the revival tent. And 78-year-old Edna leaned over and said, I dare you to do it again. You know, when you have nothing left to lose, it can be easier to be faithful sometimes. We, uh, we get weighed down by our cares and concerns, do we not? My, one of my favorite authors, uh, George MacDonald, a 19th century theologian from Scotland, I, I got a, a beautiful volume of, uh, he, had, he entitled, uh, unspoken sermons, and I, I started looking through the table of contents, and there was one there that I thought just applied to me. It said, the cause of spiritual stupidity, and I thought, I need to read that, and, uh, and as I opened it up and I started to read, I realized that he was, uh, he was talking about possessions and how possessions can come to overwhelm us at times. And he said, it's, it's, the odd thing is, it's not just what we have. I mean, some people, he said, have 
their spiritual houses so full of boxes and other things that the, when the Lord comes to knock on the door, we're unable to open the door to even let him in. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I know, Lord, but I've got all this stuff and you, I can't get it out of the way so the door won't open. But he said people can be just as, as bum-fuzzled by what they don't have. Sometimes the longing for possessions, the concern over what we don't have, can be just as crippling as those things that we do have. Thank God, as Barbara Brown Taylor said, we serve a Lord who, who is less interested in what we don't know and what we don't have and more interested in what we do. That if we judged one another not by the religion that we don't know, the doctrine that we don't know, the scriptures we haven't remembered, if we stopped judging each other on those things and started instead receiving one another for what we do have and what we are able to share, what a different church we would have. Instead of wondering whether people would measure up, we would be celebrating those who had measured out the little or the much that God had given them. And I'm not just talking about money, of course. I'm talking about wisdom, and I'm talking about love, and I'm talking about joy, and I'm talking about praise. For I have seen people grow up in a home where they were deprived of, of strong mother and father figures, and they were deprived of love, and I've seen them take uh, uh, all of that anger and that frustration and just take it out on society. And I've w watched others grow up without a home, without a mother or a father figure, without much to go on, being deprived of the kind of social interaction they want, and I've watched them walk into the church and find in Christ Jesus a brother to end all brothers and to find in Jesus Abba the father they never had, and it turns their heart, and they become filled with love, and they become subjects of the king of kings. And it's just, it's just whether we are consumed by what we have or don't have or whether we are liberated through the Holy Spirit to be citizens and subjects of our King. We do well when we hear this story about Jesus warning against Pharisees and, and praising a widow. Um, we do well to remember that this was just a few hours after the the Palm Sunday procession that we celebrate, that Jesus had come in through the east gate of Jerusalem with them waving their palm branches and spreading their cloaks on the road and on offering him praise and hosanna. Hosanna, Jesus reenacting Zechariah 9. Lo, your king comes to you, humble and lowly is he, riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He was reenacting that triumphal entry as a humble and lowly king. We are subjects of that king. And we do well to remember that on that same day that Jesus made his triumphal procession on the back of a donkey at the east gate of Jerusalem, on the west gate there was also a procession taking place. Pontius Pilate did not live in Jerusalem. He hated Jerusalem. He lived out in Caesarea by the seashore where it wasn't smelling like a city, but it smelled like the seashore. 
And every year at Passover time, because the people gathered for the Passover and because that's when the troublemakers would start to make trouble, every year he came and he made a show of force. He came through the the front door, if you will, of Jerusalem and the marvelous West Gate with hundreds of soldiers, foot soldiers, all in their battle armor glistening and many more on horseback and Pilate himself riding on a giant white stallion looking for all the world like the champion's champion. And he was there to show the people of Jerusalem who is who and what is what. And Jesus timed his entry into Jerusalem on that donkey to kind of come down and say, Pilate, I'll meet you in the middle. And there they had a conversation about truth. What is truth, Pilate said as he stares at a man who's been beaten within an inch of his life. Are you the king of the Jews? You're saying that I'm the king of the Jews, said Jesus. So all of this was happening as Jesus sat in the temple. Just hours before he would be arrested, just hours after he had ridden in on a donkey to signify the kind of king that he would become and to ask of all the people of faith, will you be subjects of this king? And there they were, the wealthy throwing their coins into the temple boxes, the treasury boxes. They're the ones who get to decide what the paint scheme will be at the temple. They're the ones who get to decide who goes here and what goes where. They're the ones, because they're paying for it, they get to decide how the decisions will get made, what ministries we'll have and what ministries we won't. They're important and they know it and they walk around And the Pharisees, who have so much knowledge about the law that they can confuse or confound anyone who would dispute them, anyone that is except Jesus. And they like to walk around with, well, frankly, looking like me. And it's always uncomfortable for Pastor Jerry and I to hear this passage every year and wonder, gosh, where do we fit into this story? I'm not liking this very much. But there they are. And Jesus says, don't be like that. Don't be like the people who take the name of God and and lay it on the table and try to leverage that name of God into something that will benefit them and grow their empire and make them stronger and make them more beneficial. If you are one of those people who have found yourself always whipping out your shopping list when you go to God in prayer, it might be time to rethink what prayer is really meant to do. And he saw that widow. To be a widow in the time of Jesus was a dangerous thing. You were provided for as long as your husband, who owned you, took care of you. But when you became a widow, if you had no sons to care for you, you were on your own. And there was no social network, no Medicare, no Social Security, no anything left to take care of you. You just had what you had. And she was down to the end of it, just a little bit left. (laughs) When I was planting the church in Napomo, we had a lot of young people, and they were, you know, we had a, we were meeting in a cafeteria. We didn't have a beautiful pipe organ, and we didn't have any of that, so we were a little more contemporary, I guess, and we had the ability to project things on screens, and so we wanted to play with that. And one day, we were talking about this passage, and some of the young men said, oh, there's a food court up in Arroyo Grande. 
And they went up and they spent a whole entire day in, a, in the food court with a camera in their hand. And they walked up to people and they said, would you let me interview you for just a second? We're doing a thing in church and would it be okay if I taped you? And the people that said yes, they would, they would video. They came back with 10 hours of video from individuals that they had talked to all day. And the question was this, if you were down to the last $10 in your pocket and you had no place to stay tonight and you had the clothes on your back and $10 and that was it and there was no hope of any more, what would you do with the $10? Would you have answered that into a camera? It shocked me, but out of 10 hours of video, 95% of the answers were exactly the same. Can you guess what they, were, what they said? They said, I would buy a lottery ticket. <laughs> Boy, in this land of the free and the home of the brave, we are never, ever done trying to make a deal, are we? We're always thinking there's one more thing we can spin out there. A lottery ticket. My son-in-law, who is studying to be an actuary, has said that the lottery is actually a state tax on those who cannot do mathematics. And I think he's right. He's right. But there's always that chance. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> there was one man, and I wish I could have gone back and met him. He had a couple days growth on his beard. He had about three teeth left in his head. He looked straight into the camera. He said, well, I'm homeless already. But God's honest truth, I'd probably buy a pack of cigarettes. I wish I could have found him and given him a hug for his honesty. And I wish I could have told him about this widow and how close he really was to the kingdom of God. And how the love of God doesn't demand that we have a house to live in or a garage door opener or a nice car or, or, or five sets of clothes. In our, the Lord doesn't demand these things from us. The Lord just wants our heart. Because you see, right after that conversation about truth with Pilate, Jesus himself was about to give everything he had to the world, to God. No wonder he looked at that widow and said, this is one of mine. She is a subject of the king. And so are all of you, subjects of this king. This king who doesn't bluster but stands silent. This king who doesn't spend the day counting his coins in his treasury, but goes out in search of lost sheep. This king who does not ride in a caravan or a procession or in a limousine, but he stands among the children and he welcomes them on his knee and he holds them and he blesses them. This king who takes off his outer garment and wraps it around his waist and kneels down at the feet of his subjects so he can wash them so that they can be completely clean. This king. We are subjects of this king. And to say that we are talking about subjects of the king means also that today we are talking about humility and pride. Humility and pride. 
I'll never forget being in Ghana where they don't take the offering like we do here. They come down the aisle. They get Joe to play something wonderful, something with a kick or a beat to it, so you have to dance as you're coming. Because it's time. It's time to make an offering. And they come down and they put their offering in a box, just like they did in Jerusalem. And there are many, many people in Ghana who cannot put anything in the box. And so they lay their hands on it and they pray to God that next time they can participate in the offering. And then they begin to give their life and they stay for a while at the altar. And it seems like the, the less they have, the more they just want to praise. Their offering goes on for 10 minutes. They're just filled up here in the front, just dancing and praising and praising and dancing because it's their life they're giving. I, I said to Matthias, my, my guide, the annual income here averages $800 a year. How can these people be so generous? And he said, we never come before the Lord empty-handed. And when you have so little, it is indeed a profound joy that comes over you when you can contribute to God's work. How do you forget something like that? When you have so little, it's a profound joy that comes over you when you are able to contribute to God's work. <laughs> Humility and sacrifice. Two subjects that Jesus wanted to talk about all the time because it was what he was here to do. So beware of those who take the name of God and wear it like it's a merit badge or try to use it to leverage their life to be something more than it is. Beware of that. God isn't interested in what you don't have. God simply wants you to take what you have and to use it Use it in such a way that everyone, everyone you meet will know you are subjects of the king. Aren't you?